Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bears Radio. I am, as always, your host, Pastor Joe Amaw from Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, and I hope you guys are doing marvelously well. hope everything is going well for you, and Hashem is blessing you mightily. Um, I am so glad to be with you guys this week. Uh, here in Louisiana, it's kind of, it's the middle of winter, but it's not really because it's warm and it's just typical Louisiana. And, uh, and so I hope wherever you are, however the weather is, whatever you're up to, uh, that things are well. And, uh, again, that you are, uh, you are doing good. You and your family. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who's joining us for the first time. If it happens to be your first time stopping in on Image Bearers Radio, I want to say thank you guys for uh, for jumping in, and and I hope you enjoy the conversation. And uh, for those of you that uh, are looking for or would like to be a part of a, a fellowship or a, uh, a you know somewhere or somehow, uh, maybe you don't have a local fellowship, or maybe you have a great fellowship and meets at a different time. If you're interested in some more Shabbat gathering online or locally. Um, we live stream our services. We meet every uh, Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central, and uh, we also live stream those services each week. And uh, so you can find that on our website, outofashesministries.org. Also, you can find it on YouTube and Facebook. And uh, so I just invite you guys to come hang out with us. Pop in the comments on Facebook. Uh, tell us where you're coming in from, and uh, we'd love to see you guys. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, let me just say how incredibly thankful I am uh, for your joining us and staying uh, committed and being a part of the conversation and the community that we're trying to build here um, on Image Bears Radio, which, as the name implies, uh, is all about how we bear God's image in a better way. And uh, so, uh, just thank you guys. On the calendar, hey, we are, we're in a break right now, which is great and which is welcome. Um, However, most of us... Uh, most of us will know and will feel that uh, when Hashem's uh, Moedim, our, uh, our celebrations, tend to have a little space, man, life surely fills in that gap pretty quickly, doesn't it? Uh, and so, I don't, uh, you know, it's, it's divine wisdom or whatever it is, the, the rhythms of Hashem to allow us some, some time to be able to deal with life and, and be able to sort out our, you know, our own things. And so we're thankful for this time. And Purim is coming up next, and we'll be doing some shows especially dedicated to Purim. And to the book of Esther, and I hope you'll stick around for those when they come up. Uh, so l- this week we are going to jump into this week's Parsha, which is Parsha Bo, come in, uh, in Shemot and Exodus. And I'm going to be talking about the plagues and nature and some uh, interesting thoughts that I'd like to challenge you with. So uh, stick around. We will jump into the episode right after we go into a moment of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, Avinu Shabbat Shemarim, our Father in Heaven. 
We are incredibly fortunate and blessed to be able to be together today, no matter where life has us, no matter what we're dealing with. Father, we pray that your wisdom and your beauty, most of all, that your spirit empowers us to live a life that looks like you. Amen. guys, ladies and gentlemen. So we are in Parsha Bo this week and uh, moving right along the, the Torah portions. I can't believe that we just started a new cycle and we're already in the book of Shemot, uh, the book of Exodus. And um, we are in Parsha Bo and we're dealing with a, a, an interesting section of the biblical narrative of Scripture. Um, interesting because there's a lot of controversy around it. And, um, and, and a lot of heated discussion, I guess, uh, because we're dealing with, um, with supernatural, what, what seems like a supernatural intervention of Hashem breaking the laws of nature, or at least manipulating the laws of nature, um, in profound ways. And for those who are more fundamental in their belief and their understanding and how they read scripture, um, they go like, well, yeah, this is, you know, obviously we, God can do this. He can do anything. And so there's no problem. Um, except for when you go, well, like, where are those things today? And, and is it the same today? And then we'd have to find, you know, we have to find rationales about why it isn't or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so you have that side of the spectrum, the other side of the spectrum, you guys know, I do this spectrum thing a lot because I, there, you know, there's, we tend to think our way is the way. And sadly enough, many people think that their way is is really literally is the only way people think about something. Uh, they're not exposed enough or inquisitive enough to realize like, no, people have other opinions and there's, you know, there's other ways of kind of working through difficult things, uh, even in Scripture. And you may not agree, but, you know, at least there's there there usually is some some degree of, you know, uh, of work and, and sincerity that has gone into why a person believes the way they do. So you have the very kind of fundamentalist traditional view, which we'll expound on a little bit more as we go through the episode. And then you have the other view where uh, non-literalists um, will, you know, just see scriptures like, well, obviously none of this actually happened. Um, you know, it's this is this is the the Bible's way of it's like you know um, myth. And legend, by the way, I've said this before, but myth does not mean uh, it's it's not true. Uh, that's kind of our modern definition of myth. But myth and mythology is is about grandeur of a god in order to contribute uh, or, or attribute honor and glory to that god uh, or goddess. And so this, you know, people think, well, this is just myth. It's legend. It's it's hyperbole, right? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's Israel's way or the Bible's way of talking about the greatness and the grandeur of, uh, of Yodhe And that's, so that's kind of the two, you know, ends of the believing spectrum. There's a whole other group we're going to talk about, you know, that doesn't even uh, fall into that, that spectrum. But, you know, I, I want this episode to be about asking you, how do you think about 
the plagues and the Exodus story. How do you think about it? And this is not to say that however you think about it is right or wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make any conditions or, or, or put any boundaries on or, you know, quantify um, the quality of your belief. I just want us to be an exercise in kind of stirring the pot, making you think, and just asking yourself, how, how do you think about this? What do you believe about this? And the reason is, like I've said before, because the way we believe, what we believe about Scripture and the way that we read the Bible impacts or creates expectations of God, right? So just as a real quick example, and I've, and I've said this stuff before, but if you're new listening in, just as this is, I don't think I'm a heretic. This is just an exercise in kind of stretching our, our analytical and inquisitive muscles and, and, and because we don't do that enough in the faith walk, I feel like. So if you are more on the fundamentalist side of things, traditional view where you, the Bible is completely literal, completely historical, and that's the way that we should read it, and there's no other way really to, to go about it. You know, uh, People who hold to this view, I know because I grew up this way, tend to think, well, if you get away from the literal, then you can make the Bible mean whatever you want. And I said that for many, many years. That was my attitude, uh, many, even even up to several years ago, um, this like idea of well, like how far is too far, right? When you start getting away from the literal meaning, which is, which is a great kind of you know guardrail for that kind of understanding, um, un- until you're ready to do the work to to kind of swim in that world of biblical interpretation and and uh, literary you know composition and all that kind of stuff. Not to say I'm an expert in that, but I, I really enjoy reading about and and then studying. Uh, those those topics. So in that fundamentalist approach, it is it's easy to believe everything literally. Um, I will say there is a there is a small amount of turning off your brain and just going like, "Yep, I believe it." Nope, the word says it. I believe it. Right? I know that I know, and I know that it's so. And not not really thinking through the like, okay not being really critical. And I don't mean critical negatively. I mean, critical isn't like thorough. So there's a good and bad part of that. And then, like I mentioned earlier, you always have the thing of like, well, um, if that's who God is or who God was and God never changes, then he's still the same God now. Yet we don't really see those things necessarily. And so how do we think about that? Right then, what do, what do we do with that literary that or, or that literal uh, literalness? I don't know the word, <laughs> the literal way that we read things and we understand things. Right, so there's that that there's that kind of thing. On the other hand, um, there are challenges with the uh, you know the non literal uh, reading, you know, completely non literal reading, and that is it tends to kind of neuter. Um, neuter the, the, the Bible of any grounding and any relevance um, at all. And there can be good and bad on both sides, on both ends of the, you know, of the spectrum. And so we have to just think about how we think about these things. And, and, and I like to say it like this, that when, you, when we, we talked uh, taught several weeks ago in, on our Shabbat service about the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I talked about it here on one of the episodes um, of IBR. And it's this idea that when you first learn something about a topic, you basically think you're the expert. 
and you tend to be really loud and really obnoxious about the things you know. Most of us have experienced this in our Torah walk. And then as you learn more, there is a sharp falling off um, from that height of confidence and arrogance. As you realize, you learn more and more, you realize, holy smokes, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't even know what I don't know, right? And then as you continue, the, 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 this called the, like the valley of despair, um, as you continue to stick to that topic and research and walk it out and, and study and, and kind of swim around in those waters, you have this what's called a slope of enlightenment where you begin to gain some real understanding, some real context, some real testable knowledge of the situation. And then you get to this plateau of sustainability where you can really like you go like, OK, I know enough about the topic to know that there's things I don't know. But I'm really confident in the things that I do know and how I work those things out. And, and that's, all this, this is, that's all this is, is an exercise for us to, to kind of go like, okay, how do we think about these things? And, and the more we think about them, what we create and what is created for us uh, is this world that we can kind of walk around in. We go, I know the options. I know the extremities of opinions. I know the, the, you know, the evidence and the validation for different understandings, and I can think critically then through it for myself and come to a, a way that, I, that, is, that is good for me, that helps me. Is it going to be the absolute unfounded truth? Maybe, maybe not. And we have to be, uh, we have to be transparent about that and understanding that, you know what, in our search for absolute truth, the truth is that probably none of us ever really find 100% absolute truth. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. That's just the, that's just the, the, the truth of the matter. Um, because when we're dealing with Scripture, remember that we have all these things to consider, an ancient language, right? And even though Hebrew is spoken um, today, it, it is different from biblical Hebrew in a lot of ways. Um, a culture that that we're you know in the plagues we're four thousand years removed from you know five thousand years removed from the culture. Um, you're, you're talking about all kinds of things that we have to that we, gaps that we have to span in order to get to you know the uh, the absolute truth. And I just don't know that many of us ever get there. And so there has to be some uh, some compromise. Well, I know it's a dirty word in some circles, but there has to be some compromise. And I think the way uh, that is best that we do that if we're going to really seek truth like we say we are, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to ask questions and don't ever stop, is to think critically. But in order to think critically, you have to have enough information. And what that means is that means listening to people who are literalists and saying, you know, everything happened exactly like it says it did in the time and the way it says it did. And listening to their reasoning and then listening to the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, let's go to the like super opposite end. People go like, yeah, no, that's all just fairy tales. And there is no, there is no even, there's no God, right? And even listening to them and go, okay, what is your evidence for that? And then unemotionally, but very logically, you know, understanding these different points of view. And then asking, and, and then with the, not asking, but but relying and clinging to the leading and the guiding of Ruach HaKodesh to navigate those things. And eventually, I think, 
Hashem leads us to a place where we can find the truth that we're looking for. So this week's Parsha begins or continues with the plagues. And uh, what we do is we pick up with the ninth plague in chapter 10. Or I'm sorry, the eighth plague in chapter 10, uh, the locusts. And then we have uh, the ninth plague, which is darkness. And then we get the, the, the God's kind of warning of the final plague. Going like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to bring one more, and it's not going to be good. And then you have the beginning or the, uh, the first uh, instructions of the Passover, of Pesach, in chapter 12. Uh, and uh, uh, Pesach and then leads into the actual 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn, of course. And then we have the Exodus in the middle of, uh, in the, middle of the 12th chapter. We have the actual event uh, that, that takes place, uh, the actual Exodus. And we have the parting of uh, the Yom Suf and the institution of Passover, um, the consecration, consecration, excuse me, of the firstborn, and uh, the instructions of Hag Hamatzah, the festival of unleavened bread. So there's a lot of stuff that takes place um, in this Parsha. And a lot of it centers around how God interacts with nature and how we think about that. So uh, I want to just talk about a few different ways that this can be understood or or kind of beliefs about, about these kinds of things about the mysterious, or the not the mysterious, but the miraculous, um, and the natural, and how those things interface. Because this, is, this has been a question, I think, for Christians for eternity. Or for, well, not our eternity, but since, since Christian inception. Um, even for modern-day believers, it's probably miracles may even be more of a question today um, because we've become a little more cynical, a little less um, willing to believe in miracles and and things like that. When I know uh, my you know parents, grandparents, those generations were were very much more eager. It seemed like and willing to believe in miracles without question. And I will say that they they probably saw more miracles than we did, or what we call miracles. And so we talk about the the miraculous and the the the, the natural, right? Um, we can kind of take two approaches to it. We can kind of just check out and go like, I don't understand. I don't know. So I'm just going to uh, live my simple life and let whatever happen happens and in whatever, you know, <laughs> put, put blinders on. I can't figure it out. I don't know. So I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll just let whatever, I'll just go with the flow. That's one way. And then there's the more inquisitive um, of us or of you that go like, no, I got to figure this out and I got to know how this works. And uh, it can be a terribly, um, a terribly frustrating and and uh, and tough journey, and um, it, it's you know it, it just depends on how you're wired and kind of what you're what you're up for, and so we quite we question this idea of nature and and um, and I know again depending on who I'm talking to you're going to hear this a different it maybe in different ways, so what is what is nature right. Um, what do we have to when we talk about nature? How do we define nature as far as its as its place? Well, before we do that, I want to talk about um, uh, something that the Rambam uh, uh, comments on this in his commentary on, on Exodus thirteen sixteen, and he talks about three forms of disbelief. And I thought this was really really fascinating. 
three forms of disbelief in Hashem. Now, again, um, think through this with yourself, right? Ask yourself, which one of these am I? And, and you say, well, yeah, but you're talking about disbelief. We're all believers. Yeah. But we know the famous statement, right? Proclamation from, from Peter, excuse me, that said, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? We all have a little unbeliever in us. And so it's important for us to recognize that, not be ashamed of it, but just to, to bring it out into the light, right? Light is the great dis- disinfectant. And so um, at the end of Parsha Bo, Rambam um, talks about three basic types of dis- disbelievers, right? And so the first category is compromised of people who do not believe in Hashem at all. Um, they believe something like, well, uh, the world has always existed, right? There's no, there's no uh, creator. There's no beginning point. There's no mas- masterful designer. Um, you know, when you look around, you can't see God. You can't see Hashem. Um, you can't, you know, tuss, touch, smell, you know, taste him. So there's no really evidence for his existence. And I'm sure some of you know people like this. You might have been a person like this. Um, you know, and, and these are to these are uh, these questions and these criticisms should not be dismissed as like oh well they just they're heathens. I mean they have actual you know they have actual legitimate questions and uh, as far as I know I've never heard like a super super good answer um, to debunk those a scientific answer which that's what they're looking for you know uh, and you go like faith isn't science and blah 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 well yeah 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 I know. Um, so that's the first, the first group of disbelievers or unbelievers. They just no, no belief in Hashem at all. Uh, the second category Rambam, uh, delineates is those who are, who are, who are willing, um, to accept, uh, the existence of God, Hashem's existence, um, because they look around and they see a world that is so incredibly ordered, um, so, uh, so you know, uniquely um, sophisticated and and well designed and put together, that they they have to conclude that well, there there must have been some kind of design, you know, and and thus a designer, right? Um, you know, you look at the human body, you look at pick a leaf off of a tree, you know, or don't pick it, and just you know, just just stand there and look at a leaf, you know, look at bugs, look at just the, the cycles of nature and, and all these things. And, you know, as a result, some people have to conclude that, you know, that, yes, there was a designer. Um, the, the disbelief really comes in these folks where um, they believe that, is, that Hashem is kind of like the, the celestial time a watchmaker, the clockmaker, where he, he made the, created the universe maybe and designed everything, and he just kind of had a set it and forget it attitude, right? Like a you know a clockmaker builds a really really um, you know intricate work of art and engineering and you know in a clock and then sets it and it just walks away and goes like yeah now it'll do its own thing it'll do what I created it to do and so the, the Rambam classifies that as a, sort of a disbelief and I think that's interesting I think that's an interesting classification um, there's you know we we can't see Hashem obviously right but we can see the evidences of him and that's the the reason that we usually give, right? You know, look at nature, look at the order, look at all these things. But those critics could also see, yeah, but look at the chaos in nature, right? Look at the the storms and look at, you know, all these things um, that happen. And does that not speak against, you know, our ability to believe? 
I don't know. I mean, if Hashem is all powerful and perfect, then why would he lower himself to, you know, to deal with us, the finite and the, the limited world? You know, and in addition, like the storms and all the things, you know, all the suffering and, and all these things. And again, these are really valid uh, criticisms and questions that people have as to why, why these, how this could possibly be. There's a, there's a legitimate conflict for people there. They go like, I want to believe and I, and I see the evidence, man, but there's a lot that's, you know, that, that goes the other way. Um, sadly enough, these folks tend to believe that Hashem is like a, like a human. Starts a project, gets all excited about it, and then kind of loses interest and kind of meanders off and does something else, right? <laughs> and kind of making God in our own image because that's the only way we know how to relate. So those are the first two categories of Rambam's disbelief. After the break, we're going to talk about the third one, and then we're going to talk about the three categories of believers and see which one of those we fit into. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we're talking about the plagues, the exodus, and how we think about uh, you know how we think about those things, and and how miracles work in nature, and how does Hashem do this, and you know how does it all fit together? Not to say that we are going to come up with any answers today, <laughs> which might frustrate many of you, but uh, just a way of of again, just kind of a mental gymnastic, and which is good. It's a good thing to work out our critical thinking. So we talked about uh, Rambam, who in his commentary towards the end of Exodus 13 gives uh, three types of disbelievers, he calls them, uh, in Hashem. The first being one that doesn't believe in Hashem at all. The second one being that there is a creator, but what does he have to do with us? Uh, probably just a set it and forget it kind of thing. Um, I mean, after all, why would he want to you know, leave his glory and come and you know, deal with us and as evidence for that, I mean, look at all the suffering and the pain and the, you know, bloodshed and the storms and the weather erratically, you know, messing, you know, killing people and messing up civilization. And stuff. I mean, there's a whole lot on both sides. Um, and then there's a third group of people in the disbelieving group Rambam identifies. Um, and this group is, they, they claim that Hashem did not leave the world. So they believe in the creator. They believe in his design, you know, his, his ability to design. Um, and he did not leave the world, but he is uh, either by choice or by nature limited in his intervention in the events of the world. So I think this is a really interesting, uh, interesting one. So people that believe in, believe not maybe in Hashem, but believe that there is a God, maybe even you know, call him by his name, but they believe that, and then they believe he created everything, which, okay, cool. We're, we're like two thirds of the way there. But then the last part of the journey is they don't, they believe that he is either, uh, weak. And I don't even know if I like that word, but he's limited whether 
he limits himself kind of in the same as the, the, the second group of disbelievers or whether he is just limited. He's just not like he was powerful enough to create it all, but he's not powerful enough to maintain it. And so this group is, you know, God is, is fully aware of what's happening in the world and he just remains passive. And I have to say that I know, I have known really people that I would consider really faithful people. Um, well, let me just say, I'll just speak for myself. I grew up Baptist, right? And while we prayed for sick people and we, you know, we, we prayed and, you know, for, for needs and different things. Uh, of course, there seemed to be from this is what I got again. This is probably never taught from the platform or from the you know pulpit or anything, but this is just my experience of what I understood and heard. This seemed like this understanding of like, well, yeah, God may intervene, but he probably won't. And you know, most Southern Baptists tend to be cessationists, so like the you know the gifts stopped and you know miracles are pretty much not happening so much anymore. Uh, and then this was 30 years ago, so things could have changed by now. I hadn't been in a Baptist church in, you know, however long. Um, but th- that was, seemed to be the idea. And people who I would call people of faith. Ramam calls them disbelievers. Um, and so I'm not sure, you know, how kind of I feel about that. And to be honest, I've really struggled with this kind of position in my own life. Um, just thinking about, well, like, because some some other traditions I've been a part of, have been very much um, that God is very uh, retributional. And what I mean by that is like if I do something good, if I do something righteous, then something good and righteous should happen to me, right? Based on, oh, I don't know, whole sections of Scripture? Um, Like Deuteronomy 28, like Leviticus, what is that, 19, 14, 19, whatever it is. Um, these whole sections of scripture, right? They go like, if you do good, God will bless you. And so that leads to this theology of like, well, um, yeah, if I do the right thing, then God will bless me. If I do the wrong thing, then there should be a punishment. There's a one-to-one ratio. And I'm just interested how many of you guys have lived your life or maybe are living your life like that right now. Let me just tell you from a recovering retributional, uh, as a recovering retribution, uh, retributional theologist, I don't know. Um, that's an exhausting way to live, right? That's an exhausting way to live because how many times do we see righteous people suffering the most and that we see um, evil, the evil ones, right? Uh, They seem to be the ones that are, you know, that are the most quote-unquote blessed. And I know there's, well, you got your definition of blessing wrong. I'm just saying what we say and and what, what, what people tend to think. Um. That God is, is, you know, is, is he involved or is he not? Because I pray and I believe, I, le- I legitimately do. I have kavanah, I have intentional belief that God will um, intervene, that God will, you know, will deliver me, well, God will heal, that God will do whatever. And, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And so it leads you to go, well, like, okay, then how does this work? And I think this is a legitimate question. We're talking about the laws of nature and God bending or, or you know, intervening or not, or how, are we, how we think about this. But this speaks to us in our own personal lives because we all have illness. We all have addictions. We all have he, uh, you know, wounds that need to be healed. 
We all have relationship issues. We all have children that, have, that are going through hard times. We all have family that is hurting. We have friends that are in need. We, we all, we look around the world and we see all the need and all the brokenness. All of us, and, and, and I believe all of us, all of you listening to this program, you believe in prayer. You believe in, in seeking God and asking for his intervention and for his blessing and for his healing, his redemption, all those things. And yet, in the back of your mind, I wonder if you're not like me going like, yeah, but why does sometimes it work and sometimes it doesn't, right? Does God intervene or doesn't he? If he, if he doesn't, is it that he can't? Is it that he won't? Like, how does that, how do these things work, right? So, the, the plagues, right? When we study the plagues, there's a lot of different ways to approach the plagues, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And, I, and each Pesach, we have the opportunity to go back and, and look at the plagues again and maybe, you know, turn the diamond and see a different facet of the plagues and approach them from a different way. But Rambam continues talking about the, um, the, the it's called the Yetziat Mitzarim, the, the plagues of, of Egypt, uh, and talking about how they really, they really thrashed, they really destroyed all three of these types of belief, disbelief systems, right? Uh, by performing these, these, uh, these miracles, these makot, um, doing the ten plagues, splitting the Red Sea, redeeming Israel, that Hashem really is going, is really face, facing these with everything he, with everything he is, right? Um, this is revealing the, the, the fact that Hashem does indeed know everything that occurs in the world, and he is capable of intervening, and he reveals his all-encompassing power. Um, through these miraculous events, he shows his control, over and the the ability to uproot seemingly the laws of nature, right? Um, so then we have another kind of dimension and dynamic to wrestle with. And it goes, well, like, can he, can he do that? How does that work? I mean, obviously he can, I guess. And we say things, well, like, God can do anything he wants to, but we don't really believe that. <laughs> and I understand it comes from a sincere heart and a sincere, you know, a desire to have sincere faith, but we don't really believe that. Um, because we still have these questions, like, I don't understand how this works. Well, okay, that's fine. Then, then let's just, let's just, you know, kind of stay there and rest in that and wrestle with it a little bit. Um, so we talk about like, what is, what are the plagues and what are they, what was their purpose, right? Um, one of the ways that I've kind of started thinking about this in the last several years is this idea of like, well, um, what about the Egyptians? Like, what about the innocent Egyptians, right? Well, there were none. Well, yeah, of course there were. That's, that's an ignorant statement to make. There were, there were no innocent Egyptians, really. So because America has a, uh, a president who is a Democrat, are all Americans Democrats? Obviously not. And, and it just doesn't work like that. If you go to a church and that, or you used to go to a church and now you're all mad and they're all hypocrites, are they really all hypocrites? Probably not. Is every pastor a lying, scheming wolf? No, of course not. Um, is every atheist an evil person? I know some atheists that are better people than Christian people, are Torah observant people. So, that's an ignorant statement to say that like, all the Egyptians were evil. So what about the innocent ones? 
What about the righteous ones? Well, they came out in the in the Exodus with with uh, with uh, Israel. Great. Did they lose their firstborn as well? You know, I mean, this is like we got to think critically about some of these things, right? So when we talk about about nature, because these are natural occurrences, right? The wind, the frogs, the lice, the locusts, the hail, uh, you know, all these things. When we talk about this, um, we think about like, well, what is nature? Well, nature is the sun and the moon and its, its cycles and its the seasons, unless you live in Louisiana. We don't have seasons. Um, unless you, you know, it's the seasons and, and you, you have to have a cold winter in order for spring to really do what it's supposed to. Um, I know in here in Louisiana, like, we don't have a cold winter for a couple of years. We have bugs that you've never even dreamed of before. We have weeds and plant life that just like we've never seen before. The winter is a reset, right? And so that's a, just, just a natural thing. It's a natural cycle. Um, you know, seeds, you plant seeds, you give them care and water and sunlight and the right amounts, and they come up. And, and that, you know, that's, that's nature. Um, you think about our natural bodies, right? How does a body, you know, continue to function? And we usually don't think about this until someone close to us passes away and we have to go through that with them. And we realize like, well, the body has an option not to function. And what causes that to happen, right? So the, these ways of understanding nature. So now we're going to talk about um, uh, Rav, uh, Rav uh, Eliyahu uh, Dessler, who kind of piggybacks off of the Rambam's explanation of the disbelievers and talks about three ways um, to believe in Hashem as it relates to the plagues and to how his interaction with the world and with nature. So um, there, there's three. He puts them in levels, levels of, of, of belief. So the third level or the first level, I'll say this, the first level and kind of the base level, right? So we talked about the third level of belief, of disbelief, which was like, yeah, Hashem's there. He created everything, cool, um, and he can intervene, maybe or maybe not. We don't know really how that works, right? <laughs> so the first level of belief is that uh, they they believe completely in Hashem, of course, um, but they also believed in this idea, believe in this idea of nature. Um, which is why Hashem may have created it. It's a self-governing, um, independent process system that maintains the world. In other words, it maintains itself and it maintains order in the world, right? That Hashem is this transcendent being and he kind of exists out there beyond the world and beyond nature. And nature is a is is the mechanism that Hashem kind of uses, kind of like the clockmaker. It's the mechanism that Hashem uses to keep our world going, right? Um, so that sounds a little bit like one of the disbeliefs, doesn't it? Like the second one, like yeah, he it's a set it set it and forget it thing. And and again, I know a lot of believers that that really kind of hold to this idea. Um, don't believe in miracles. Don't believe necessarily in that. You know, just kind of like yeah. No, Hashem's up there somewhere doing his thing, and nature just nature is you know this is this the system that works, and then they can more easily explain like whenever there's storms or whatever they like that's just the that's just nature just doing it this thing it's balancing itself out. Um, th- this is one of the ways that I understand like you know the whole global warming, global cooling, all that kind of stuff. Like yeah, the the world is as a system. The Earth is a system. And it will, Hashem is in his intelligent design 
sometimes the, the earth needs to warm and sometimes it needs to cool. It's moderating it, its temperature, right? And so th- there's, there's this type of, of, of person who, who believes this is how Hashem you know, interacts with, with nature. The second kind is that Hashem created and controls nature. And so this is a little bit higher level of belief, according to uh, Rav Dessler. That's a little bit a high, a little bit higher level of belief, and that it's like, um, it's like nature is a tool for Hashem, right? So it's it, he controls nature as a as a function, as a system. So he's still separate from nature, but he is more engaged and more involved. So kind of like the idea is like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't drive a nail into a piece of wood with my hand, right? But I can use a tool. That tool is not me and I am not that tool. It is something separate and distinct from me that I can use when I need to, right? So nature has no independent power. But this is a way of Hashem's presence and providence in the world, um, Hashgacha, being displayed, right? Um, they are distinct. And, and this is probably – this second and then the third one we're going to talk about are probably the two most popular that I have come across. Um, and not necessarily that Hashem is, is – uh, well, I, I think – Many believers or many people of faith really struggle with how, just how um, involved in the world is Hashem, right? How involved is He? And this is a tricky, tricky thing to think through. And I don't know, I don't have the answer, but I have done a lot of thinking about it. And I'd be interested in, you know, anybody else's thoughts. It's a tricky thing, right? Uh, Because of one main statement. The statement is that God is good, right? That God is good. And to be honest with you, I've never even looked that up in Scripture to see if that's even a scriptural scriptural thing. Um, uh, um, yeah, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I just had a little, little. I was thinking out loud for my uh, for a second. Forgive me. Um, yes, Lord is good. His mercy endures forever, and so yes, so He is good, um, righteous, holy. All these loving, these attributes, right? These godly attributes, the thirteen attributes of mercy, right? All these things, the over God. So, uh, if God is all those things, like we believe He is, and He is incredibly um, involved intricately attached to this world and our existence. If that's true, then things should be good, right? I mean, you can say, yeah, no, but they're not. I, yeah, I know. I know they're not, but, sh- but shouldn't they be like, if, right? If, if a equals such and such and B equals such and such, shouldn't those two things be equal, right? If a equals B and B equals C, a equals C is, is that the, I'm terrible at math. I don't know. Um, but that, that's the cognitive dissonance that we have, right? That's the, that's the hard thing that we have to understand, that we, we try to figure out. It's like, okay, I believe God is good. And I want to believe that he's intricately involved in, in, in our existence, in the world's existence. How, but, but how can a good God, a righteous, a holy God, 
be, how can I say that he's involved when there's so much wrong? And that's a legitimate question. Again, these are, there's not a lot of answers in this, the today's radio show. There's a lot of questions because I think it, it's important for us to think about, about these things. And so this kind of second level of believing is a, is a popular one. And, and, it, and it's one that I think, you know, is like, yeah, I mean, God can do what he wants with nature, right? I mean, how many times, oh, this is so cringy, but how many times have you gone like, well, you know, a, a storm destroys a, you know, a community or a, you know, whatever, um, especially in like Christian fundamentalists um, in political circles, right? Um, you know, like Republican, whatever, conservative, fundamentalist. Uh, and I consider myself a conservative, so I'm picking on my own people. Um, and this is really, again, really sad, a sad statement. But how many times have you heard like, well, California is being ravaged by storms? Well, that's what they, that's what you get. They deserve it for killing babies and for, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Do you understand what you're saying? Do you realize what you're saying? That's a dangerous statement to make, you know, or like the thing of like, well, the tornado, you know, skipped over one person's house and hit another person's house. And we go, well, thank God my prayers worked. What? You don't think those other people were praying too? So what determines what you see? These are, we say all kind of stuff that we never even think about. We don't think about what we're saying. So like you rub the lamp in a way that was that that God liked more than the what are you saying right okay So let's talk about the third type of believer as we kind of start to bring this to a close the third type of believer is believes that nature itself this is kind of deep so hang on with me nature itself is the constant will of Hashem it is the expression of Hashem and I just want to kind of sit on this for a little while because it can be a little bit like, uh, I don't, makes my brain hurt a little bit. This is the highest level belief and it requires a really thoughtful and developed kind of understanding of Hashem and, and, and his nature, right? Um, so if we can understand this, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an understanding that, uh, nature is, is is just is an illusion, not an illusion. That's not a good. It's a mask. Let's say that. Yeah, nature is a mask for Hashem's will. Okay, nature, the natural world, the cycles, the seasons, the 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 flowers and the storms are a mask for Hashem's will. Um, and this understanding is that nature is not a separate entity at all but what we call nature and and i'm quoting here from rabbi richmond uh, rabbi reichman's book rather um what we call nature is a, is actually the actualization of hashem's will so the idea is that hashem is complete in oneness right right adonai echad hashem echad he's complete oneness therefore um, nature isn't separate from him. Rather, nature is the term we use to identify the seemingly routine events of cause and effect that we witness each day. Just like thoughts originate in our mind and come into fruition through our actions, Hashem constantly wills everything into existence, and everything in his physical world manifests as a result. 
Thus, this world is really a reflection of a much higher reality. I think this is really, gosh, it's so interesting um, that nature itself really is a miracle in itself. And so the thinking really kind of settling in on this last form of belief, according to, to Rav Dessler, is this idea that Hashem is not separate from nature. And if nature is the thing that we can, the natural is what we can cling to the most as the most real and the most tangible, right? We can see the sunlight. We can feel its warmth. We feel the wind, right? We feel the coldness of the rain. We smell the fragrance of trees and flowers and grass, right? We hear birds chirping. Like it's nature, the natural world is the most tangible thing. And in complete opposition to this idea that Hashem is somehow detached from our world and up there, wherever there is, he's up there kind of like a puppet master or like he's just tinkering on something else while the world, you know, does its thing. In complete opposition to that thought is this idea that, no, the things that we touch and taste and smell and feel, the natural patterns that we observe in nature, the sun and the moon and all the things, the seasons, those are actually Hashem as an expression of himself. They are, they are just what we call his nature and his image being born in the world, being manifest in the world. I think that's really cool. And so however we think about the Exodus and its story and what happened and how we are to interpret it, these are some interesting ways to bring it out of that archaic story and bring it into modern day life and ask ourselves, how do we think about things? I hope you've enjoyed this episode, guys. We love you and appreciate you very much. And until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom. 